So when I was in primary school, um, I, I thought I was doing all right. I, look, I wasn't super cool. I wasn't super popular. Um, but, but, well, no, 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 no. I, I um, but I could, um, I could draw pretty good. And so, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a, a sort of kudos in the class that if we were doing art and things and someone wanted help with me, I can still remember, you know, kids would bring over their book and, and, and ask me to help them draw something. I was, I was kind of like that. I, I was pretty decent at sport. I was like never the best, the best, but I always kind of got picked, you know, when you're picking teams. I was always picked sort of in the, you know, the first half and that, that made me feel pretty good about uh, about the way I was in primary school, and and I was kind of funny. I wasn't, you know, the absolute class clown, but but you know, I could I could tell. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! Primary school, it got, it went south after then. But in primary school, <clears throat> and then we moved house uh, at the end of my year six, going into year seven. Uh, we moved a fair way away, and I started a brand new school at the beginning of year seven. And there was a kid in my class in year seven who was a really good drawer. And everyone asked him to draw stuff for them. No one cared about my drawing anymore. And there, uh, there were a couple of kids in my class who were really, really good at sports. You know, they were the kids that did little athletics and they were always the, the fastest and the strongest and the best at football and just everything. And all of a sudden, no one cared about how good I was at sport. There were some kids in the class who were really funny. You know, they were ever, whenever the, the teacher left the class, they always, you know, took control of, of the class with jokes and, and did funny things. And, and, and no one cared how funny I was. And all of a sudden, no one was noticing me. And I'm in year seven, which, you know, is that critical year when you're, when you're at the top of the school and, you know, when you want everyone to, to kind of see who you are. And all of a sudden, no one was noticing me. It was like I was performing on a stage without an audience. You know what I mean? My life was out there, but no one was watching. And I desperately wanted to find a way to be accepted. I want to find a way to be cool. I wanted someone to ring me on the weekend and want to see me. And that wasn't happening in my school. And so when a few of the boys asked me if I would join them and badge cars with them, I was in. Now, for those who don't know, badge cars, badging cars, not much done anymore. But when I was a kid... Uh, it's stealing, right? You would go around with a screwdriver and you would pry off or unscrew the badges, the name badges, you know, the Mercedes-Benz from the front of a car or the Toyota on the side of a car. And the idea was that these things had monetary value, that if you stole these things, you could sell them. We never sold any of them, but we ended up with a big pile of these things. But it was, it, I didn't care about cars and I didn't care about badges, but I liked that people wanted to see me and they wanted to know me, that, that kids wanted to see me on the weekends so that we could sneak around the back streets and, and steal stuff off cars. All of a sudden, I had my life had an audience, you know what I'm saying? All of a sudden, there, there were people who wanted to see what I was doing and wanted to know what I was doing. And it was great to have an audience for my life. People were noticing. It was really good that people were noticing me until the people who were noticing me were the police. <laughs> and uh, to cut a long story short, it all went south and I got arrested and I got charged. And, 
and and it was it was ugly. <laughs> it was it was really really ugly. I got my audience, but with all the wrong people and for all the wrong reasons. We're talking about the kingdom of God. Jesus begins his public life as a man of about 30. <clears throat> he sort of steps onto the public stage and his opening statement, according to Matthew and Mark and Luke, all of them agree that his opening statement was the kingdom of God has come near. And when people heard that, when people heard a young man standing up saying the kingdom of God has come near, they got excited. Because they thought that this guy was going to draw a sword and gather an army and take on the Romans. Because the Israelite nation that Jesus was a part of were living under the rule of Roman occupiers. The Roman army had literally come in and, and with violence and with a, well, it wasn't much of a war because they got run over real quick, but had taken over their country. And so they thought that this, that, that this declaration of the kingdom was going to be a fight back. But the kind of kingdom that Jesus was talking about wasn't a kingdom that was established by war. Jesus didn't raise an army. He never raised a sword. He never, he never fought with anyone, let alone with the nation of Rome. The kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about wasn't a new country. Jesus was talking about a kingdom that was like a world within a world. He was talking about the coming of a way of doing life according to God's values and God's principles. He was talking about a, a slice of heaven coming to earth. And he was inviting people to join him in it. And this series, we're, we're taking a deep dive into what this kingdom is. What is the kingdom of God? And what does it mean for us to live out and to understand that kingdom in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, in our sporting clubs, wherever we find ourselves? And we're doing that by walking through Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7, which if you're into this thing, uh, into sort of Bible nerd is stuff, is what people call the Sermon on the Mount. It's one long uh, sort of preaching, teaching message from Jesus, three whole chapters of your Bible uh, that begins with Jesus standing up and saying, everyone be quiet, I've got some things to say. And it follows him teaching through and it's largely him teaching about the nature and the value of this kingdom. So we began in uh, Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus begins talking about what success looks like in the kingdom. He redefines what success looked like in a way that took what people thought success was and flipped it completely on its head. Last week, we talked about the new rules of the kingdom as, as Jesus reinterpreted some of the, the, the classic rules that people lived by. And, and again, he sort of flipped those on their head in a, in a way of saying that you thought that, that being right with God was about following all of these rules. But he institutes this new rule, the law of love, and he shows people what it means to live by the law of love. And it flipped everything upside down for these people. Today, we're going to uh, pick up Jesus' teaching at the beginning of Matthew chapter 6. Uh, so I'm going to start reading from verse 1. We're going to skip through a few verses along the way. But if you're following along, Matthew 6 verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. To be seen by them. 
If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward in full. Verse 6, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus goes on to sort of unpack, unpack prayer his way. I want you to jump down to verse 16 with me. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will be obvious to others, so that it will not be obvious to others that you're fasting, but only to the Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you first read this, and I know when I first read this, I remember reading this as a kid, it seemed like a bunch of sort of random teachings about giving and prayer and fasting. But I've since discovered that there's a much more powerful thread that Jesus is trying to teach in this part of his sermon. See, I know we talked about this before, but one of the techniques that the Bible writers use to connect ideas and to make their point is repetition. We've said before, anytime you're reading the Bible, you're reading a passage or a story or whatever, you should look for repeating words or repeating phrases because the Bible authors will use that to sort of draw your attention to the point that they're trying to make or the point that Jesus is trying to make in the teaching or the story. Did you notice the repeating phrase in this story? In verse 4. Uh, when he's talking about giving, he says, Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In verse 6, when he's talking about prayer, Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In verse 18, when he's talking about, uh, when he's talking about fasting, Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Matthew's deliberately linking these three stories. These aren't just random teachings. This isn't just Jesus saying, oh, by the way, I want to tell you something about fasting. Oh, by the way, I want to talk, tell you something about, about prayer. By the way, I want to talk, tell you something about giving. Matthew's using this repeated phrase to tie these stories together in a way that is supposed to make you see there's something common in all of these stories. Matthew's deliberately linking these stories because he wants to, you to understand something about the kingdom of God. And that is that in the kingdom of God, only the opinion of the king matters. The only opinion that matters in the kingdom of God, the only audience, the only audience that matters in the kingdom of God is the audience of the king. Now, you'll know as well as me that in the kingdom of this world, we do things with the opinion of others in mind, don't we? 
It's like where we, we live our lives sort of surrounded by an audience, which is our friends and our family and our workmates and people that see us in person and people that see us online. But Jesus is teaching here that in the kingdom of God, we do things with the opinion of God in mind. We're surrounded, if you like, by an audience of one, the king. Everyone wants to look good in front of their audience. In the kingdom of this world, you manage your image, you manage the way that you look in front of the audience, so to speak, that you perform for, don't you? Because you dress certain ways, you say certain things, you avoid saying certain things, you do, sorts, you do certain things, you hang out with certain people, you buy things that sort of reflect who you want to be and they make a statement about who you are. You take certain jobs, you pursue certain things in your career because they make a statement about who you are and, and how you want to be seen. Where you live makes a statement about who you are. That reflects the way you present your house. Even for some people, the suburb that you live in, make, you know, location, 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 that makes a statement about who you are. The car that you drive, all of, all of these things are part of the, uh, a part of what we're reflecting to the audience around us and they all say something about us. Even in your faith, even in church, do you pray out loud or not? What do you pray? What do you pray about? When people start worshipping, do you, do you put your hands up big like this? Do you kind of put your hands up a little bit like this? Do you, you know what I mean? All of these things. But let's be honest. Like people sweat about that sort of stuff. There are people who really want to pray, but what if the words come out wrong? Because the person who just prayed before me, man, they sounded awesome. And I was going to pray, but now it's going to sound just terrible, isn't it? So maybe I won't. There's something welling up inside me in the worship and I, I kind of feel like I'd like to do something, but everyone else in my row is just standing there. <laughs> we sing a song and it talks about kneeling and there's something in me. I'd like to kneel, but no one else is kneeling. So I better not do that because it's going to look weird, right? In the kingdom of God, the only opinion that matters, the only audience that matters is the king. When people live in the kingdom, they're only interested in what he thinks of you. It doesn't matter what others think of you. It's a totally upside down way of living, isn't it? Jesus talks about giving, he talks about praying, particularly praying in public, he talks about fasting, but he's using these things to make a point. He says it in verse 1, Jesus doesn't often teach like this, but, but he actually makes his point right in the very first verse when he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. The New Living Translation puts it this way, at the same verse, it says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. He's saying the only person that you're trying to impress in the kingdom of God is the king. 
The only person, it, it doesn't matter if people, it doesn't matter if people don't even see what you're doing. In fact, in some ways, he's saying it's better if what you're doing is unseen. Now, he's not literally saying that. He's not saying you can't pray in public. He's not saying people can't know what you give. He's not saying don't ever tell anyone if you're, if you're fasting or, you know, that you've read the Bible. So that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that in some ways, it's as if it's better to do those things in an unseen way. Because then there's no chance of you doing them to impress others. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. That there's no chance. If people don't know that you ever made that donation, then there's no chance of them looking at you and saying, wow, look how much they donated. Because he's saying the only person whose opinion matters, the, the only person who it matters knows what you gave and how long you read the Bible for this morning and how you prayed and what you're... The only person that matters is God. We all have to make a decision. In fact, we all are making a decision every day about the audience we live for. Who it is that you're most looking to impress. Is it the kids at school? Is it people in your family? Is it your boss at work? And when your audience is the people around you, you will act in ways that make yourself look good in front of them. As we said, it will affect the way that you dress, the way that you talk, the things that you do, and and on and on. It affects every area of your life. But when your audience is God, you'll act in ways that God thinks are good. Does that make sense? And, and that's when you sort of cross the line from people no longer have to sort of twist your arm or convince you that following God is a good thing. You will want to follow God because he's the one you're trying to impress. And I think this is where... This is where lots of us, and I want to speak to our young people, especially to our young people. This is where it gets so confusing to people because we sort of hear what God wants of us, but then we've got friends that are saying they want different things from us, and so we're pushed and pulled, aren't we? I I, I sort of want to do, part of me wants to do what, God wants me to do. I know that's what I should do, but everyone else is telling me that I should do this. It's only when you stop listening and you stop performing for the audience of those friends and you start performing for an audience of one, an audience of God, that then that push-pull disappears. Because the things that God says are the same things that the audience wants. Does that make sense? And because God sees everything, because God knows everything, you no longer have to make a public show about stuff because God sees what's done in secret anyway. You don't have to live in a way that says, look at me, look at me. You no longer have to sort of drop those casual hints so that people will pick up how good you are and the cool things that you've done. You can just do whatever you do in life, even if some of the stuff is in secret, because you know that the audience still sees. Friends, this is the upside-down world of the kingdom of God. 
people often ask me personally, um, people often ask me about this church and what this church is like and what we want this church to be like because we're still sort of young as a church and they're saying, you know, where, where's this church headed? And they'll ask me questions like, so, you know, do you always, because we're sort of smallish now, do you, do you plan to be a small church or, 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 or do you, do you small now, but do you plan to grow and to be a big church? You know, do you plan to buy a building? Do you plan to do this? Do you want to do that? And honestly, I say to people, we actually don't have any goals or plans around lots of those sorts of things. We always say we read things in the Bible like Acts chapter 2 that we talk a lot about. And we say, we're just really trying to be that. And if we can be that and we end up being that and be a small church or a big church or we have a building or have it. However, if we can just do that, that's what, that's what we're trying to do. So we don't have a lot of goals around those things. But I can tell you. I can tell you one goal that we do really squarely have as a church. We are determined to be a church that lives for the approval of the king and for the king only. This church doesn't care about how people look. We don't care what you wear here, as noted by the fact that there are two people wearing South African sports jerseys. In the congregation today because they, won, because they won the cricket last night. And how good do they look? Honestly, we, I, I grew up in a church where people cared how you looked, right? We don't care how you look. We don't care how you dress. We're not going to make decisions in this church about who's, uh, based on who's cool and what's, who's not. This isn't going to be a church where the, you know, the, uh, certain kinds of people end up singing up the front or certain kinds of people get to speak or or certain kinds of people get to do this or that. We are going to work as hard as we can to fight any sort of cliques or groups or in-groups forming in a church. And I'm saying that honestly because if you're anything like me, many of us have been in churches where that kind of thing happens. You know, where there's an in-group that seem to get to do all the cool stuff and everyone else has to watch. We're going to fight as hard as we can to not be that kind of church. We're going to be a church that welcomes all people. However they dress, however young they are, old they are, whatever they believe in, whatever suburb they live in. And you know, we will welcome church we will welcome people into this church regardless of the sort of life decisions they have made or even life decisions that they're making today. We'll continue to be a church that encourages people to worship God with all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their body, no matter what that looks like. We're going to continue to be a church that says to people, if you want to stand in worship, do. If you want to sit, if you want to raise your arms, if you want to kneel, you know, you can do whatever you like because there's only one audience that matters. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't do stuff in worship because the person next to you is doing it or isn't doing it. Don't do anything because I'm doing it or because, you know, Alice or whoever's up the front is doing it. If there's something stirring in you and you want to act or behave or respond in a certain way in worship, go do it because the only audience that matters is who? 
is God the audience? It doesn't matter what the people around you are thinking. It doesn't matter if they look at you sideways and go, why is that guy kneeling during church? That's absolutely fine if that's what you want to do. There's no pressure to do any of that. But the only audience that matters is God. We're going to continue to be a church that will encourage everyone to pray and to serve and to give and to share. We're going to very, very deliberately be a church that says, if you are the youngest person here, you can get involved. If you're the oldest person here, you can get involved. When we have these times where we share testimonies, which we're going to do again in a couple of weeks, we're going to very deliberately, over time, ask everyone to share. Now, it's not kind of a pressure thing. We're not going to force you up here and twist your arm. But, but what I'm saying is, is, is sharing what God's doing in your life is not something just for those people who are upfront people. It's not just for those people who are really good public speakers. It's not just for those people who, who think they've got a great story. We want to be a place. We believe that God's got something to say to this church through every person who's here. When we pray, we pray out louder and we're going to continue to encourage every person to pray. Not just those people who've got the gift of the gab and, you know, there are those people when they pray, it just always sounds so good and they don't um and they don't ah and it all just comes out. It just sounds like prayer maybe does sound in heaven. We don't want to be that. There are people who pray like that. A side story. When, when I was young, I remember um, when Ros and I got married, we joined a young adult small group in the church that we we're in. And there was a couple that joined that group uh, they joined that small group and they'd just come back from interstate and they'd been worshipping, they were working in uh, interstate for a few years and they'd been worshipping at a, a, a really big, really well-known church and they came back and they could just pray amazing, right? When, when we were in small group, they would open and all the words that they came out of their mouth just sound like those people on the stage, you know, and, and it was really intimidating, We want to be a church that says it doesn't matter if you can pray like that or if you stutter and um and ah and whatever, that everyone can pray. Everyone can serve, everyone can give. You know that story that Jesus tells where he, he, he looks at a, a woman stand, there's a, there's a box for people to donate on a street corner outside the temple and people are walking past. You know this story? And they're putting in large amounts of money and they're kind of waving it as it goes in. Have a look at this note as they drop it in. And, and, and Jesus looks at them, but Jesus points out a poor woman who comes in and puts in a couple of, literally a couple of cents. And he gets the attention of people around him and he says, look at that woman. She's put in all that she has. That's more valuable than all of these rich people. Now, he's not, he's not making a comment about money, is he? He's making a comment about the person's heart. Mm-hmm. And we want to be that kind of church. It says it doesn't matter what you give you know, in terms of the financial amount. We want people to give however they can, however the Spirit of God is moving them. Because it's the opinion of the King that matters. It doesn't matter what other people think about the way you pray. It doesn't matter what other people think about the way that you worship. It doesn't, none of that matters. All that matters is the opinion of the king. Mm 